Happy Thursday to you on a Canucks game day. Welcome to the People's Show. I am Vic Nazar coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Elon, Ben, behind the glass, running the show today. You're active in the inbox, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber, text message inbox, Dunbar Lumber, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver, online at DunbarLumber.com. We'll talk to our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, Ken Priestley, two-time cup champion, former NHLer uh, in the back half of the show. Arif Hassan will join us in about 10 minutes as well uh, at Arif Hassan NFL, chatting about week 14. Uh, but do want to start with the Vancouver Canucks tonight, 7 o'clock against Minnesota. Batch Randeep will have the call at 7. Uh, sat and Dan with the pregame show as well. Myself sat uh, on postgame later tonight as uh, the experiment with Andre Kuzmenko continues uh, for Rick Tockett and the rest of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, morning skate today. McKayef, Pedersen, Lafferty, Hoaglander, Carlson, or Hoaglander, Miller, uh, Besser, uh, Joshua, Bluger, and Garland, uh, Kuzmenko, Oman, and Phil Giuseppe rounding it out. So Andre Kuzmenko finds himself on the fourth line. I was saying yesterday, look, he's either got to be with Miller, he's either got to be with Patterson, and he's in the lineup with Nils Oman. And to me, this says something about the Canucks, that they are missing one more score. Now, Kuzmenko retains his spot in power play one as well. But it does show if they had one more natural score that they could move up the lineup, this would be an easier thing. And I want to be clear, just because if they had one more score, doesn't mean they got to move off from from Kuzmenko. Two, having too many goal scorers is a good problem to try to solve. But when you're picturing, okay, what style of forward, maybe when we're talking about top six guys, could they be going after? Even when a guy's in a slump, this really speaks to me that they just need one more natural, true goal scorer. Yes, they're getting goals from Lafferty. Yes, they're getting goals from Hoaglander. But if they had one more true, natural goal scorer, we would have seen Andre Kuzmenko out of the lineup tonight. And he gets to play with Nils Oman and Phil DiGiuseppe. I, I ask you, 650-650, how does he succeed in his role tonight? And Rick Tockett was, spent a lot of time today talking about you know when he's playing as F1, how he's got to play that. Well, he's not going to have to do that tonight with Phil DiGiuseppe there on the line. But we're talking about trying to build someone's confidence back up and get the energy going and get the effort level sustained at a high level. I I just look at this tonight and I say, it, it feels like Kuzmenko's opportunity to get back in the lineup is going to be more about other players in the top six failing than it is about Andre Kuzmenko's pure effort, pushing him back into the lineup. This one, Pew Suter. Uh, texting in 650-650. Hey, Suter comes back. Does it sort it out for uh, Kuzmenko? But Suter's played so well in his role. Do you want to take him out of that and go push him up the lineup? And also, it's is that a high-end enough scorer, right? There's all this talk about they need one more top six forward. I've loved Pew Suter's game since he's arrived here. That's not the guy I'm writing home about saying, hey, we've, we've found our top six scorer problem, and it was Pew Suter all along. He's done amazing work. 
come playoff time, you need one more natural game breaker in the top six. But good shout in the inbox, 650-650. But how does Andre Kuzmenko succeed in his role tonight for you? Uh, text into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And even off the top of his press conference today, Rick Tockett was talking about something that I was mentioning yesterday. Consistency is still a huge issue for the Vancouver Canucks. Here's what Rick Tockett said today. Well, that's the word, Cage. Consistency. We got to we got to find our consistency back. Um, for me, it's playing. Like, I think um, what's kind of creeped out in our game is uh, we're playing slower. It was kind of like when I first got here. A lot of regroups. A lot of whole people holding on to the puck. And I think when we play faster, um, mentally too, like a, a, I guess the mindset for us uh, is when we're playing well. And if you look at our games, last ten games, it's been. Some good, some bad, but it's the same thing with our mindset. Sometimes we want to play fast, sometimes we don't. So I think that's really the biggest key for us is to get back on our game. Consistency. That's what they got to do uh, here. They've you know, struggled these last 13 games, so six and seven, slightly above or below 500, not overwhelmingly struggles. Not like the Oilers or something from earlier this season. Not like the Flames from earlier in the season. Uh, relative struggles so far for the Vancouver Canucks so far this season. Uh, 650, 650 is a good shout from Chris in Nanaimo. Because Manko line is a low-end JT line, really. He's the best, sir, on that line. You could pop up against lower end of the lineup, even if it's just enough to get his confidence back. Well, you take PDG, who was previously on uh, Miller and Besser's line, and then you know Kuzmenko plays the the Besser role, Nils Olman playing the JT role. You know, minute distribution is obviously going to be important here as well when you're talking about how much is that line going to get out there. Andre Kuzmenko here recently, uh, you know, it's 14 minutes, 14 minutes, 17 minutes, 12 minutes, 14 minutes. Uh, that's playing in an elevated role is mined with some benchings there. But is is he going to be in a spot where he gets 13 minutes, even strength tonight uh, with Nils Oman PDG? I, I have my reservations about that. But we'll see what happens with Minnesota, who all of a sudden make the coaching change. We've seen this obviously here in this market. Coaching change happens, and the first handful of games, they are on fire. And they, they come in uh, not well-rested, but they don't have to do the third game in four nights or the back-to-back uh, West Coast trip. This is the middle game for them, going from Calgary to Vancouver, then back to Edmonton tomorrow. So... The, the home ice advantage I often often like to cite when it comes to Vancouver, getting some teams traveling here, not necessarily in Vancouver's advantage tonight, but they are uh, winning some games here recently for the Minnesota Wild. Uh, Bick Nazar here hanging out with you uh, on the People Show. We'll talk to Reef Hassan in just a couple of minutes, though. Wild stuff in the NFL today. Uh, good thing we have a Buffalo Bills fan here amongst us. Elon, defend your coach, man. What happened here today? There's no defending Sean McDermott <laughs> after this. It's um, it's wild, man. Here, I'll, I'll read the quote, and I'll read it all. This is from uh, Ty Dunn's piece over at Go Long today, uh, golongtd.com, a uh, friend of the show as well. Uh, this is in 2019, getting ready for a team meeting. Uh, he told the entire team they needed to come together, but then sources on hand say he used a strange model. The terrorists on September 11, 2001, he cited the hijackers as a group of people who were all able to get on the same page to orchestrate the attack to perfection one by one. McDermott stared, st- started asking specific players in the room questions, what tactics do you think they used to come together? A young player tried to methodically answer. Uh, when asked uh, what do you think their biggest obstacle was, a veteran answered, TSA, while trying to lighten the mood. That is... Uh, this is 
that's crazy. That's the story today. That's and then Sean McDermott comes out and basically says, yeah, I wish I had played that better. So he confirms the story today at the press conference. Just I mean, a weird strategy to get to your players. Plenty of other examples you could use to work as a team. He just a horrible example. Th- th- this job, like coaching, like I- I've-, I've mentioned this, like coaching's overlooked in a great way. And I think we sit here and we say, okay, well, what is this guy's X's and O's? What is, you know, Rick Tockett's strategy? How does it work? All that sort of stuff, it, it matters. But the interpersonal relationships of making a connection with your players and selling them on the message and, and having that connection really matters. And the people that aren't good at it, it doesn't matter how good your X's and O's. Think of, think of your boss that you have right now. Right? Are they good at, at connecting to you as a human being? The the strategy of the company could be fantastic, but if the, the message gets muddied sometimes, it's not gonna matter. And I know they've had success here, the Bills relative uh, and had some good seasons, but this is a huge red flag to step into the room and you're like, you know what example I'm gonna use? This. Yeah, and you talk about connecting with your players and trying to get them to work as a team. I have no idea how Coach McDermott came to the realization before the meeting, yep, this is the example that I'm going to use to get to my players. Got to run up by somebody. Just be like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, I don't I don't even think that you should like, run up by someone. I think you, you should know as like a person, like that is just not the, the play to call there. The, the, the job is tough enough. He, he coaches in a division with Bill Belichick, you know, throw Mike McDaniel in there. The job is tough enough. You're making it harder on yourself by doing this stuff. Is this a fireable offense? I mean, it's week 14. You probably just like play it out to the end of the year. He's been there, what, seven years yeah, now? Yeah, and the fact that it was a couple of years ago, I think, helps his case. He's apologizing for it. Hopefully, we can move on. At least he owned up to it. Yes. Doesn't really help. I mean, you can't really deny it. It's, it's truly one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen from any coach. I, I, I have, I've never really started this thread on Twitter, but I always wanted to. Because we see weird quotes from NFL head coaches. I feel like in North America... NFL head coaches have the weirdest quotes. Hockey's probably close second. NBA maybe third and and probably MLB last. For sure. But I just think NFL coaches just need more sleep. Just just more sleep. Just sometimes, man, you, you, we hear these stories of like 18 hours in the facility. He sleeps on the cot in the office. It's like, dude, you can go home. Just just get some more sleep. You probably you probably would have saved yourself razor texting in. You got to be uh, brain dead or zero self awareness to do that. Well, it happened. It happened. Uh, let's uh, get into it uh, with our uh, friend uh, from uh, WideLeftPost.com. Uh, he is Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL joining us now. Uh, Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking of all the things I wanted to ask you today and all the football related questions I wanted to ask. And then. Side swiping the whole day is uh, Sean McDermott and uh, the news today from Ty Dunn's piece of how he's addressed this team and you know referencing 9/11 and you know coaching is already so hard as it is and I, I just I'm, I'm mind boggled here Reef of of coaches making it harder on themselves. Yeah, I mean the whole piece is about how Sean McDermott has made things harder on himself, has made things harder on the Bills. But of course, that that tidbit about 9/11, which you know for people who are unfamiliar, in 2019 he addressed the team, told the team that they needed to to come together. Which you know so far that's fine. Um, but the problem is his example um, on 9/11 was that of the terrorists coming together 
and working together towards a common goal. And, you know, while technically on paper, that is an example of people coming together, it was perhaps pretty insensitive, and it doesn't really hit as an emotional or motivational speech. Um, of all the examples you could have chosen on 9-11, that may have been the worst one. Um, there's a lot of examples of people coming together. Um, I, I don't know why that one was picked, but the entire piece is about how uh, McDermott actually does a very poor job of motivating people, of connecting with people, of finding ways to take accountability and things like that. And so, um, you know, I encourage people to read it. Tyler Dunn is a friend of mine. He does very good reporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every you know couple of months, he just drops like a really large, this is a three-part piece, for example, um, that really goes into the details of one or two teams that um, that I really recommend. But yeah, this has taken over the day. This is just an incredible uh, piece of information. While the bills are 6-6 and uh, basically, you know, struggling to make sure that they even make the playoffs after being favorites. It speaks to me a bigger issue and something I've been talking a lot about on the show, not just, you know, when it comes to football across all sports is, you know, the importance of coaching. I think we always dress it up as, you know, well, the X's and O's and everyone buys into the X's and O's and and you go sell a plan. But it is so much of the interpersonal relationships and trying to motivate people and getting that part wrong really diffuses and and, and just doesn't push a group of people to the heights that you think that they can reach and, just it's it's one example, and look, I think overall, like Sean McDermott can be a good coach, but this is such a bad example of of how the the other part of the job uh, can go so wrong for a, a coach. Yeah, one hundred percent, and I think that you're right that we tend to overlook it, and I think it's because it's very difficult um, to get a good sense of, of how good a coach is at all of these other tasks, right? We can we can tell whether or not a, good, a coach is like good at time management. We have some idea of how good a coach is at X's and O's, um, but we have very little idea of how good a coach is at uh, teaching other coaches, at teaching players, at motivating players, at, you know, bringing people together. Uh, kind of ironically enough. And, you know, that that plays, uh, you know, a pretty big role. You know, the fact that, uh, for example, Sean McDermott didn't take uh, accountability, according to the piece, after uh, the Buffalo Bills lost to the Kansas City Chiefs in the famous 13-second game in the playoffs, um, you know, I I think plays a role in in how the Bills have handled those situations going forward. Uh, At the same time, a coach that has historically done very well, Mike Tomlin, you know, his X's and O's aren't, aren't something that, you know, people praise him for. Maybe they should, but they don't. Um, but we know that he is just this remarkable teacher, an incredible developer of coaches, and really great at making sure a team is motivated to come together. This may be the worst Pittsburgh Steelers team I remember in my lifetime, and they still might make the playoffs because of how good a coach Mike Tomlin is. And, you know, Sean McDermott, this is year seven now for him in Buffalo, and it's 6-6, as you mentioned, uh, as the record. And, now it just feels like there's a built-in excuse to the season of, okay, yeah, there was injuries, but now suddenly you get to the end of the season and you see an ownership group that's looking at this and you say, you know what, we probably don't need this anymore. We haven't got to this stage, and it just feels like this would be the thing that it's an easy out for any ownership group to say, hey, we're moving on from you. Yeah, absolutely, and we're in such a, a weird spot with McDermott because he, you know, he ended the playoff drought for the Bills, and the year he ended the playoff drought, I mean, that was a bad bad team right that was it was a bad Josh Allen Nathan Peterman played a little bit um there was a third quarterback I think that played a little bit that season I think they had a negative point differential still made the playoffs that year and they 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 latched together some iconic wins 
um, that year as well. And so, you know, there's that, obviously going through the whole DeMar Hamlin thing uh, and, and putting the Bills back on the map as a contender. At the same time, when you increase your expectations, you're now judged against those expectations. And he hasn't been able to do that. So building up a team, maybe that's one skill. Um, but making sure a team is consistently motivated, consistently ready, that's another skill. I think at the beginning of the season, we could say, hey, this Bills roster up up top to bottom might be the most talented roster in the NFL. And, you know, yeah, injuries happen, of course, but when, when you have that and you are 500 in the middle of the season, there are serious questions. And I think that this kind of reporting does provide an easy out for ownership, but the easy out only matters if they're looking for one, and they've got a pretty good reason to look for one. Uh, let's actually talk about that AFC playoff picture right now. Uh, it's it's kind of been headlined by injuries, right? Everything that's happening in Cleveland, uh, Anthony Richardson goes down in, in Indianapolis, uh, and now here comes Houston, here comes Denver, Cincinnati's kind of survived, and, and Jake Branding has a good game. When you're looking at the AFC playoff picture, uh, if, if you're trying to pick two teams – uh, that make it, or three teams, I guess, because uh, Pittsburgh's also seven and five. Uh, who are you standing out? Man, that one, that one is tough, especially because you know Jacksonville may or may not have a quarterback injury. We'll see what happens mm-hmm. um, Sunday. But like you said, you know the Browns have an injury. The Steelers actually have a quarterback injury as well. The Colts have been playing uh, with their second string quarterback. Honestly, you know if I was going to pick one, I think that that quarterback question is going to be kind of dominant in my mind. I think the Houston Texans, who are currently not in uh, the playoffs, if they were to be kind of decided on today, um, they're they're the eighth, the theoretical eighth seed if the season ended today. I think they end up making the playoffs. I think that they've got a schedule that's going to allow them to do that. I think they've got a great quarterback. They did just get an injury at receiver, but I do think that there is kind of a lot going for them uh, with the Houston Texans. I think that you know, I, I still don't trust the Denver Broncos, but they are playing a lot better. They've been playing together uh, better for the past six weeks or so, um, and I think they've got a schedule. Uh, you know, aside, I think they've got one more game against the Chiefs. Aside from that, they've got a schedule that'll give them some opportunities. And so those two, but then after that, you're looking at you know teams that are either under 500 like the Chargers or teams like you mentioned that don't have uh, a great quarterback situation. I would say that out of all of those teams, and I like how Jake Browning has played. I don't want to. I don't want to dismiss it. But I would say probably you can just rely on Josh Allen. I think that despite all these questions about Sean McDermott, despite the injuries, especially in the secondary for the Bills, I think Josh Allen's just a good enough player that he can get through this morass of, you know, you know, having these Jake Brownings and Gardner Minshews and, you know, whoever's playing in Cleveland and I think Mitchell Trubisky is gonna be playing for the Steelers, getting through all of that, uh, in order to, to secure um the next seed. So the guys I picked, none of them are in the playoffs right now, but I think that those three are the most likely to make the playoffs as the wild card. Well, what's amazing about Josh Allen's season is, you know, outside of the interceptions, is if we were making an argument for most valuable player, you would actually have a good case for Josh Allen because he's been so valuable to the Buffalo Bills and everything that's happened there with the injuries defensively, and and he's having such a great season. It feels like he's taking a step as for as an overall command as a player and of an offense. And you know, historically, we know you know MVPs are division winners and their quarterbacks, and he's not really in that spot. And suddenly, you look today or this week, and it's it's Brock Purdy leading the way uh, for MVP odds right now. Dak Prescott's in the mix. Uh, if you're if you're making a selection, uh, who's your vote right now uh, heading into Week 14? Uh, Dak Prescott actually would not be uh, a bad pick. I think that that's actually um, you know a pretty good one. Um, and I think just based on the numbers alone, if you were going to do that, Josh Allen would have a great case. I think people you know look at those interceptions and think they're really damaging, but a lot of them are like hail marys on second down or deep shots on third and twenty, and it's like these interceptions are actually not that damaging. 
Um, sometimes they get tipped off of receivers' hands. I know that there's like a uh, an example from like Gabe Davis, for example. Um, and it just really is. Like you take a look at his play. He's playing really remarkable, beautiful football. I think better than you know Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts and some of these guys that are leading these winning teams. Um, Brock Purdy, for me, that's kind of. He's playing really good football. I don't want to take that away from him, but I do think that a lot of the success is built off of that supporting cast in a big way, including the the, the coaching situation there and how well they scheme to get people open. It's not to take that away from Purdy, but I think if I was going to pick, you know, the most valuable player in the NFL right now, um, I would probably lean more towards somebody like Prescott, who is having a remarkable season. I know that he's probably not going to win it. I think that there's just this kind of bias against him in part because the Cowboys haven't won much with him at the helm. Um, but I think that they're playing remarkable football and he's playing really remarkable football. So that might be my pick, but that's not my prediction. Uh, talking to Arif Hassan from uh, Wide Left and also at Arif Hassan NFL on uh, X or Twitter, uh, whatever you're calling it nowadays. Uh, while we're focusing on the playoff picture, we'll, we'll flip to the NFC. It's kind of an interesting look, too, because it's teams surging rather than teams maybe fading in the AFC. Minnesota's still there, but Green Bay, L.A. Uh, are, are starting to make this surge. Uh, you know, who, who do you stand out of, of the team that's like most likely to make an upset in the NFC? Because it feels like the, the four division seeds, have, or the three division seeds, uh, let alone the, uh, the, the, the NFC South, have kind of pulled away. You throw in the Dallas. But is there a team in that NFC playoff picture you feel is likely to make an upset? Yeah, I think both the Packers and the Rams, you know, who both have come on pretty recently, um, have a pretty good argument for kind of surprising people getting to the playoffs and even winning a playoff game or two. Uh, Jordan Love has looked pretty good over the past four weeks. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, while he's been helped a little bit by luck, I think there's a chart going around on Twitter saying that the Packers have benefited the most from, from you know, luck-related events in football. Um, he has been playing a lot better than he did at the beginning of the season when they put together some wins, but I don't think he looked very good in those in, in those first couple of games. Um, he looks a lot better now. Same thing with Matthew Stafford. He looks very good. Um, he's playing pretty well. The Rams are kind of picking things up. You want to talk about another really good example of a great coach, Sean McVay, is doing a very good job kind of keeping this team together that I think a lot of people, including me, counted out. Uh, and so, you know, both of those are, are pretty good examples. And so, you know, if you're the Vikings or if you're the Seahawks, you have to make sure that you're not one of those teams that's fading away because I think all of these teams have a really good opportunity to kind of take, you know, one or two of those wild card uh, seeds away. Uh, last couple for you. We'll talk about a team that you're very comfortable with, the uh, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, they go on this great run, and we thought it was all over when Kirk Cousins went down. Josh Dubs comes in. They're playing Creed. They're having all the fun. Uh, now it's two losses in a row. Uh, will they stabilize their season now that Justin Jefferson's uh, poised to come back? Yeah, and I think that's going to play a pretty big role in um, you know their ability to rattle off a couple of wins. Of course, the next two games are a little bit easier for them. They're going up against a backup quarterback in uh, Las Vegas with Aiden O'Connell, backup quarterback in Jake Browning in Cincinnati. Um, but the games that matter are those final three, two against the Lions, one against, one against the Packers. If they win two of those games, um, I, I think the numbers suggest that they'll, there's like an 85% chance they make the playoffs. I'm just going to say that they make the playoffs if they win two of those games. Um, and that's going to be kind of the big question mark, um, regardless of what happens in the two AFC games coming up. And, and for me, I, I still don't fully trust you know, Jordan Love yet. I still don't fully trust Jared Goff, even though I have like two years of data. I just have to get over myself, I think. Um, but the Lions play pretty inconsistently. And so um, I, I think that they have that chance to right the ship. They made a quarterback decision yesterday. They decided to go with Joshua Dobbs over backup Nick Mullins, rookie Jaron Hall. 
Um, but that I think is a good decision because he's the he's the quarterback that is most likely to be able to give you a big play when you need it. You know, he might not be kind of down to down the best quarterback, but I think that you're looking for a quarterback that's gonna it's gonna give you a high ceiling and give you high potential in plays. I think that's Joshua Dobbs, and I think that having Justin Jefferson there that's gonna raise that floor because you'll always have an option, even if you're like, hey, nobody's open. We'll throw it to Justin Jefferson then because there's a pretty good chance he'll win a contested catch. So I think that's going to help a lot. Um, I think that's going to, you know, kind of keep things, you know, above water for them. But it really just comes down to those final three games and whether or not they can pull out, you know, two victories out of those three games. Is is the Jefferson stuff in the offseason because he's going to be ready to get a, a massive payday. Is there going to be much drama surrounding this or is it going to be fairly uh, cut and dry and simple for them to figure out? Yeah, I think it's pretty cut and dry. I know that some people have worried that, you know, the Vikings basically don't have a quarterback under contract, um, whether it's Kirk Cousins or Joshua Dobbs or whoever. Um, You know, while that, you know, is not meaningless to Jefferson, I think for the most part he knows he's always going to be able to produce regardless of who's that quarterback. And I think that, you know, he just wants to make sure that he's taken care of. So I think that the real issue is the amount of guaranteed money and the Vikings would be foolish not to give him basically anything that he's asking for, and I think they know that. So I think it's it's going to get taken care of. He's going to get that contract, and then the Vikings can be able to figure out the quarterback question later. Uh, he is Arif Hassan, uh, at Arif Hassan NFL. Uh, he does great work on the NFL. Uh, check him out at Wide Left Post. Uh, Arif, we always appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. There he is, uh, Arif Hassan, joining us here on The People's Show. Good thoughts there on Sean McDermott. Ben, I was, I was thinking about what you said, too. It's like, is that a fireable offense? Um, it, it's not even just that. It's, it, you know, it's just dumb. I don't know if it's independently fireable. It's just dumb. It just, I imagine it's a, a situation where the owners are just like, well, we don't really want this to, to represent our team. Exactly. And because he's been there for seven years and you have a situation where you might not make the playoffs, it's just like, an easy it could one. just be another addition to yeah. why we're letting you go. Be like, hey, w- you didn't make the playoffs. We're letting you go. And then when the HR thing happens, it's like, okay, the reason we didn't. And you did something else. <laughs> the reason we didn't want him back is, uh... <laughs> did you read this article? Did you see this one? Uh, all right, more on the other side. Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, former NHLer, two-time cup champion, joins us. Uh, a lot more coming up here on The People's Show on Sportsnet 650.